0: Hey guys, how's it going? So, today's episode is super exciting and for a few reasons. So, first, we're taking a dive into the field of law, which I've never discussed on the podcast, and I am so excited. But along with that, we're getting two perspectives. So, I had the opportunity to interview Mr. Lisa and Mr. Scott. Not only are they the kindest people ever, but they provided so much insight and information about the field of law. I can't wait for y'all to hear this episode. So without further ado, let's get right into it. All right, perfect. Well, first off, thank you guys so much for joining. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on and speak to me. No sure.
1: problem, it's
0: our pleasure. Um, so before we get started, could you guys just introduce yourselves really quickly?
2: Sure. I'm Lisa Taggart, um, I and I know you ran it obviously through your mom. And um, I used to, I was an attorney for about 17 years. And then in 2016, I, um, my husband and I kind of made the decision that it would be best for me to be home with our two children. Um, and we, li- we live here, the, the four of us in Mullica Hill, New Jersey.
1: And I'm Scott Taggart. I am Lisa's husband. Uh, I've been practicing law now for 20 years I'm licensed in both the state of Pennsylvania oh, and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Oh, I, um, I have licensing also in the federal courts in New Jersey uh, and Pennsylvania, I've had those licenses since
0: nineteen ninety nine. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So okay, to be completely honest, I don't have too much insight into the field of law. And so I'm hoping that through this conversation, I as well as my viewers can immerse ourselves into the field of law through your experience and exposure. So. If you guys are ready, can I ask you some questions?
1: Absolutely, and Lisa can answer first and then I'll answer after her. Perfect. Sorry about that, you can you heard our
2: seven-year-old kind of <laughs> interrupt slowly right there. No
0: worries. All right, so first off, how did you guys decide to become a lawyer, like in general? Like, you know, did you always wanna be a lawyer or did you yeah. sort of get interest into it later?
1: Well,
2: you know what, Raina, for me, no, I didn't know I was always going to always wanted to do that. I graduated from college at a time when the job market was really bad and I didn't have a job lined up out of college. And I thought, wow, this is a great time to get an advanced degree in something. I was a liberal arts major in economics. Um, you know, I, I sort of leaned more toward reading and writing in that area generally as opposed to science and math. So I, I thought law school would be a good fit. And, and that's what I did. And then things just sort of blossomed from there for me. I knew I did start to think about when I made the decision to go to law school, what areas of law kind of held an interest for me. Um, and I originally started out thinking about health law and working you know, in, in compliance and risk management for a hospital. But that, that changed as time went on.
0: Oh, so were you ever on like a pre-law like track or program in college or did you just like after you graduated you decided
2: yeah just after i graduated i was just i I have a bachelor in economics and that in our in my school that was considered a liberal arts degree Okay. Uh, but but no i you don't and that's pretty common you don't have to have pre-law track to go to law school okay or anything like that and scott i think has a kind of a different path
1: that regard. yeah for me I, I think my decision was made maybe a little bit earlier than Lisa um, all my life even through grade school uh, two points of interest for me were always history uh, and civics you know current events and when I was in college I was taking kind of general courses and I wanted to find a way where I could marry those two interests my interest in history as well as my interest in current events mm-hmm. And I noticed that law kind of allowed for that because the with precedent, a lot of the law is established based on precedent. And the things, the laws that govern us now in society are based on precedents that were set many, many years ago. Right. Uh, so a lot of those concepts kind of carry from history going forward and they kind of govern society today. So I recognized that uh, being a lawyer would allow me to, you know, somewhat stay immersed in history Um, as well as use that history and precedent in the current day. Um, So I started to gear the courses that I picked um, toward law and getting into law school. And I noticed that I was doing well at them. Um, And then I started to decide which type of law that I wanted to pursue. And I was always fascinated by the whole trial process. You know, like everybody else, I would see it on TV. But Mm -hmm. I had family members who worked in courts, and there were times that I would go down and and watch the trials and and i was always fascinated by that whole process um so when i kind of put all that together um that's what led me to apply to law school and and ultimately go through and and i'm glad i did
0: that's awesome so what is like your specialty like what do you both specialize in i guess in law i
1: I have done different kinds of law over the years um but for the last i would say maybe i would say a good 15 years so a good majority I've, i've handled civil litigation Mm -hmm. Um, And there's all sorts of different uh, kind of disciplines in civil litigation. My focus is plaintiff's litigation in the personal injury realm. So I represent uh, plaintiffs, people that that are injured or have some type of uh, economic or non-economic damages. Uh, And, you know, they come to me and my firm. We represent them to try to make them whole for the losses that they've experienced. Um, In today's law. You know before an attorney could handle all sorts of different disciplines in the law um, but like medicine law has become more focused where you may have the ability to branch out different types of law but there is you you're going to have a focus mm-hmm. um and i think that that's a good thing because i think that leads to a better representation of people when you have a, a particular knowledge in one area of law and you're both experienced and skilled in that area so it's it's kind of become like medicine in So that's been my focus for the last, I would say, 15 years.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. So I know you mentioned it was like, you know, you got inspired sort of by what you saw on TV. Is it like that? Like, did it kind of live up to your expectations? I would say for what I do, um, yes. Uh, A lot of the drama that you see
1: um, on TV, um, they dramatize it to make it, um, I guess, more presentable in a fictional fashion. Um, so, you don't see a lot of what leads up to the actual courtroom engagement. I've seen some shows and some movies do give you that presentation. Um, but I would say real life is actually more fascinating and, and more exciting. Uh, number one, obviously, the stakes are real. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot more that goes into it the preparation, the strategy, and all of that that you don't necessarily see uh, when it's fictionalized in TV and movies. So, I would say that. that even if it's the, not the dramatic courtroom stuff that you see on TV, everything as a whole, the whole entire process, I found to be more fascinating than what you typically see when it's fictionalized.
0: Okay, that's super cool.
1: Raina,
2: I would say that what I did was very, very different from what Scott do, did and currently does. Okay. What I did is nothing like what you see on TV, <laughs> and, and it's basically, you know, I almost consider it sort of like consulting in a way because I, I worked with, um, big comp, bigger, large, larger companies on their health and retirement plans mm-hmm. and making sure that they were in compliance with, um, a law called ERISA, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, the Internal Revenue Code. So you're basically reading, um, working with plan documents, interpreting language, um, talking to clients about how they're administering things within their human uh, resources department. So you're kind of at a desk, you're on a phone, you're you're reading and writing, you may go to, to certain meetings every once in a while, um, but you're basically non-existent in the courtroom <laughs> from my, you know, from what I was doing. And it's
0: mm-hmm.
2: different type of um, environment because you don't have that adversarial nature to it at all. So you will find in law that there's there's many different branches you can go into. So if you don't like the courtroom environment or that you know a lot of the things that go along with that there's there are other areas that that could be suited more toward your interests and your natural abilities.
1: And I think Lisa brings up a good point I think for your listeners is that uh, even when I was getting close to actually uh, engaging in the practice of law, beyond law school and taking the bar exam, uh, you know, there's a certain ignorance as to how vast and different uh, there are, you have opportunities in the legal profession. Um, you can find something that interests you within the legal profession that you can pursue that can uh, not only um, stimulate your interest but also kind of exploit your skill set. Um, so, for example, what Lisa just described, if, if I ever needed an attorney or somebody to handle that, I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd have to reach out to somebody mm-hmm. like Lisa so that she could handle that, and, and and vice versa. If she needed somebody within my discipline, she would have to reach out to somebody that does my kind of work. So I think that's a good thing to know is that, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities within the legal field. You, you
2: know, I think... Sorry, uh, one ahead. other sorry Raina, but I just wanted to add one other little point too and as you advance in in law you'll find too like especially if you become a partner um, or you know if some people start their own firms you're also expected to get involved in developing business um, in some instances like I know with Scott it's he actually gets involved in, in the marketing um, so there's also those elements that sort of come into your your job as well as you advance.
0: Okay. So do you think that, like, the environment that you work in, whether it be, like, a court setting or a more, like, private setting, did that contribute to your decision and what you specialized in?
2: For me, 100%. I, I knew that my, you know, my personality is not – would not be well-suited to the adversarial environment of the courtroom and civil litigation generally. And
1: I agree with Lisa 100%. I think that uh, where I find myself today is definitely more geared towards, you know, my life experiences and my interests and my skill set. So, yeah, the answer to your question, I think, is absolutely
0: Okay, that's awesome. I didn't, you know, realize how, like, vast, like you said, the field of law was, but that's super cool. Is it... um, is it pretty fluid in like moving from one specialty to another with a general law degree or are you like restricted to the one that you choose?
2: I would say when you first start out, you have some fluidity um, but the the more, you know, you kind of whether it be through your life circumstances or because you, you know, you had a particular interest, you, you sort of start falling into a track in a particular area. And the further along you get in that, I I do think it gets harder to make a switch. Things are a lot more specialized, especially with what something like what I did. There, there are certain areas that are even, I think, a little more specialized than others. I think with Scott, with litigation, his skills could be transferable, you know, across the board a little bit more. Um, But I think the further along, generally speaking, it is a little harder to just switch to a different area altogether without starting over, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I guess in my
1: realm, um, because at this point I've done over over 100 jury trials, in my realm, you'd you'd have to, whether it's criminal or civil, uh, you certainly have to know the rules of the court, civil procedure versus criminal procedure. Um, But any kind of case, once it's put to the point where Um, you're actually going to trial. Um, When you're a trial attorney, you have trial experience. You can apply that to different areas of law. Um, But that that foundation to get there, you would certainly need to work with attorneys that have that foundation to help you get to the point where you're actually going to try the case. Um, But you do see a lot of uh, attorneys that do what I do, that will do criminal cases, uh, will do landlord-tenant cases, um, because the skills are transferable pretty easily from one to the other with certain areas of law
0: okay so it's kind of like certain things are sort of like interrelated in themselves and then i guess it sort of goes from there
2: yeah i would say certain specialties are you know you it's hard to go from one to the other um but with others it's it's a little bit easier and if you're a skilled litigator. Um, like Scott, is that you are able to use those litigation skills in other areas. But, you know, for me as an employee benefits attorney, it would be very difficult for me to just suddenly do litigation mm-hmm. or to handle a domestic relations matter or a patent, patent matter or something like that, um, and vice versa.
0: Okay. So I've talked to a few lawyers, and I mean, my grandfather, actually, he's a lawyer in India and you know from what i've heard it seems like there's a lot of reading involved in law and and, you know is that true like is law school or just law in general is it solely reading and you know how do you get sort of like field experience
2: i would say definitely law school you're going to expect to do a ton of reading and writing um and then for me it continued on that way. Yeah. I mean, maybe the type of reading is a little different once I started working, but it's still, for me, heavily focused in reading and writing. Um, and then of course, you know, you're going to have a lot more client interaction as well to kind of break that up. And, but yes, for me, I would say that that holds true.
0: Do you think that could be like a deterring factor for some people?
2: I don't know. I think the people who are, I, and I could be wrong, but my sense is that people who have taken interest in law generally enjoy the reading and writing a little bit more than others. I, I don't, I could be wrong, but that's
1: my, my sense. Well, and then One thing to know is that uh, as Lisa said in her area of law, for example, there was a lot, there remains a lot of reading. Uh, with me, not necessarily. Um, the things that I would review, uh, it's not like your standard where you would think of reading a a book or a law book or a law journal, things like that. I'm looking at evidence, police reports, uh, medical records, photographs, videos, um, deposition transcripts, arbitration testimony. So I'm reviewing evidence, not just kind of regulations and and law books. So I would have less reading in what I do than say Lisa, um, and it's different kind of read. you know, not to speak out of school, but I think it's more interesting because when you're reviewing evidence, preparing for a deposition or preparing for a trial, uh, that can be really fascinating and very, uh, you know, it can kind of get your juices flowing, getting you ready for trial.
0: Okay, so I might honestly, like, I might have a completely misconstrued view of law because a lot of what I'm going off of is what I've seen in, like, movies and stuff, but what we see in movies, you know, there tends to be like a lot of morality issues and things like that. So do lawyers often face issues of morality or like complexities between the law and their own sense of right or wrong?
2: Well, I think Raina, for me, because I was working with things like the tax code and regulations related to it and Arissa, um, like I told you, and I was dealing with big companies that want to comply with everything (laughs) and they're, you know, their HR departments, um, technically. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, there, there wasn't really a lot of morality, you know, it's here, here's the law. Sometimes there's issues of interpretation. Um, but they're the, for the clients that I work for, you know, it's, it's just all about getting it right. You know, um, there wasn't any issue. Well, we, could, you know, we could read it this way, or we could read it that way, and we would prefer it for this reason, which may not necessarily be, you know, there there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't too much gray in what I did, um, and I was dealing with clientele that were really heavily focused on making sure you know, you got
1: everything right. For me, um, that is uh, a big part of what I think you just described. Um, with civil litigation and criminal litigation and domestic relations, there there is kind of that push and pull um, and that morality analysis that you described. Um, but it's important to keep in mind a few things. One is that the, the duty that you take on when you represent a client under the rules of ethics uh, is to advocate for your client. Um, you do it all within the rules of ethics, all within the rule of the law, but you represent that client and that is your number one interest and your number one goal. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that the way the system is designed, you have one person on one side, uh, an attorney on one side representing a client and an attorney on the other side representing the client or company or, or commonwealth or state or or federal government. And the way the system works is that these two sides have only their client's interest in mind with the expectation that the design of the system is going to find out what's right and what's real and come to the proper uh, conclusion. Um, you know, if you have a moral issue and, and it's something that you can't engage because of some moral dilemma, then your obligation is to not represent that client because ultimately you're not going to be able to represent that properly. You, the only way the system can work is when. You take on a client and make their interest your 100% goal. That's it. Um, And, you know, the idea isn't that even though you're, for example, a criminal defense attorney, he may be representing somebody that deep down he may believe is guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, And he may have a hard time with that. But he understands that the law sets it up where the government has to prove their case uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. And all he's doing is making the government prove their case under the law. And he's defending his client as he should, um, and he's forcing the government to prove their case. And what that does is that doesn't necessarily, it's not focused just on that particular defendant. That is focused on all of us in society. If it got to a point where nobody was entitled to uh, vigorous and zealous representation, it would be too easy, say, for example, the government to arrest somebody and throw them away and put them in jail for long yeah. periods of time. You know, the idea is that what they do is as important for society as a whole as it is for that particular client. You understand?
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. Sure. And, um, the end, I just, I was wondering, what is a day I know obviously both are in different specialties and they are very different. But what does a day in your life look like and what's the general like culture or environment at the firm? And also, do you have any like exciting cases or anything you could share?
2: Well, again, for me, right you know, I have <laughs> been out of it since 2016. But when I was heavily in it, my day would be a lot of um, being at my desk. I worked for a big firm. At one point, I was a partner there. So it would be a lot of being at my desk billing the right amount of hours, um, talking to clients on the phone, maybe a meeting or two um, within the firm, discussions about business development and um, potential meetings with a client in another state about getting their their business, Um, writing plan documents, So, but, but for the most part, you know, it it was a lot of being at my desk, um, and being on the phone and, and meetings and that type of thing. And then uh, at night, a lot of times you would come home and you would, you know, there'd still be a lot, you still have to make your billable hours. So, you you know, you might have to log back onto your computer at night and put in a little more time as well. Um, so it's for me it was pretty time intensive for everybody i think in law but i do think too that when you get into a bigger firm environment you can expect that you're going to have um a lot more hours requirement we both also worked at smaller firms and um you know that the time the hours requirements tend to be a little bit Uh, less intensive. Um, So it depends kind of on the size of the firm, the area of law that you're in, and um, how far advanced you are in your career. But for the most part, you know, you can expect that you're going to have some, you know, at some point, if not
1: all the time, but you're going to have longer days. Mm -hmm. For me, um, I do have what we call office days where I just do nothing but review evidence, which like I said, it could be medical records, it could be police reports, videos, deposition transcripts, um, signing up new cases, talking to clients, those kind of things. Um, But I spend a lot of my time um, actively litigating cases, which would include uh, depositions. A deposition can last anywhere from 30 minutes to a a few days. Um, Arbitrations, which is a non-binding way of trying to get cases resolved. It's like a little mini trial. Um, Those, again, could last uh, 30 minutes up to a few days. Um, I could be uh, at one trial, a trial could start, you can get a trial done in, in a couple days or it could last months. Um, so yeah, any wide array of what the litigation process includes, that's what I'm engaged in most of the time. Um, but also as a partner of my firm, as Lisa had mentioned, um, dealing with the personalities of the firm, you know, human resource type things, um, meeting with my partners to try to establish and implement some policies and procedures for the firm. Um, marketing trying to find ways to um, you know generate new business to, to be uh, have a presence out in the community so when people need our services they think of us um, those are, are primarily the things that that uh, we would be focused on and as far as interesting cases are concerned um, i am handling where to begin yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, tons yeah i mean over the course of and just by the type of law that I practice, we engage a lot of interesting cases. Um, but just to pick one uh, because it's current, um, I'll be handling one of the newer. Um, and there's only a, a few that have, that have started already, but uh, COVID death cases. Okay. Um, it's a case that's actually going to be in New Jersey. Um, it was, uh, you know, somebody that worked in an acute rehab. Um, and uh, unfortunately contracted and passed from as a result of code. Um, oh, wow. So it's going to be a new um, type of claim,
0: um, you know, obviously because COVID is a relatively new
1: phenomenon. Um, but like I said before, even though it's a new claim and it's kind of uncharted territory where you're going to be dealing with experts that are going to be handling a new type of thing, um, litigating a new uh, arena of claim, um, it's still going to be based on a lot of those presidential um, things that I had said, told you about earlier. So within the four corners of uh, the litigation process, we're about to engage a whole uncharted territory when it comes to COVID. So uh, that that I think is going to be a case that's going to be very interesting for me, and I expect that, that case will probably take up a lot of my time over the next two years.
0: Oh wow, two years.
1: Yeah, you have um, when in a neg- there's a thing called a statute of limitations, which yeah. that's the time within which you have to make a claim. Um, for example, a breach of contract, your statute of limitations is typically longer than, say, uh, a negligence claim, which is what I deal with. That's usually only two years. So when somebody comes into your office and you sign them up, um, you, know, you identify. Um, when the damages were incurred or when the person reasonably could have determined the damages occurred. Um, And then you start recognizing that you have only two years to get your lawsuit filed against all of the people that could possibly, or entities that could possibly be responsible. Once you file that lawsuit, and usually you try to file it as soon as you can so you can get rolling, but it usually takes for a case like this maybe close to or up to a year to develop properly so you feel comfortable putting it into suit. But once you put it in the suit, the uh, the court will give you what's called discovery deadline, and that's the time within which you're going to exchange all your documents, you're going to do all your depositions, you're going to have your uh, expert evaluations performed, whether it's a medical examination or a site inspection or a product um, inspection. Um, and then once that discovery period is over, that usually can last about a year. Once that process over, that's when you start preparing the case for trial if it doesn't settle. So it's usually about two years because it's a year getting the case together and a year or more doing the discovery and then ultimately uh, getting on track to have your trial. Well, that's a pretty complex case though. Would you say all, not all of your cases are no. of that length? Yeah, I would say that I would say that most cases, even the less complex cases, uh, when you file it, you could be done in about 10 months once you file a lawsuit. Okay, uh, But it depends on the, the, um, you know how quick you file a lawsuit if you have a lot of cases you may not file right away because you're filing cases like we're a bigger law firm so we have we file our cases per month for example cases that were signed up in november of 2020 they're obviously going to be filed before the cases that signed up in december of 2020. um so you know so when they're filed does have a lot to do with when they're going to get resolved
0: okay i see so when like when you have one of the more complex cases that take, you know, like two years, like you said, do you work on multiple cases at once or are you always just focused on that one? Absolutely. I would say uh, I have probably about
1: 100 cases that i will personally handle myself. Um, so like in those
0: yeah. two years,
1: I'm sorry,
0: like in those two years, you're working on 100 cases total.
1: They'll be on my list. Now, some cases will be more active than others.
0: Um, oh, wow. While I'm
1: working that uh, that case for two years, I may have, let's say, 30 cases that I'll consider to be hot, meaning I'm doing depositions in them, mm-hmm. um, uh, handling experts, um, going to mediation. I potentially could go to trial. Um, and then those other cases, my staff, my associate, my paralegal, will work those cases up. They'll get those cases ready to go into suit. They'll um, you know, work on the paper discoveries. I'll make sure that our clients are treating, things like that. So yes, it's yes and no. Yes, I will have about 100 cases on my list that I have to pay attention to, but at any given time, I may have 20 to 30 that are very, very active. Um, oh, so wow. for that two years, I'll have probably you know, 20, 30 cases that will be very, very active, while the others are kind of cycling through the other process.
0: Oh my gosh, I didn't expect that. That's insane. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's there are differences. For example, um, firms that uh, if attorneys handle mostly motor vehicle accident cases, they can have a much larger caseload than, let's say, somebody who is handling just uh, environmental torts or um, very, very large medical malpractice cases or construction accidents. So, how many cases you can handle at any given time is kind of dictated by the size of the cases you're handling, too. Okay. And my practice, um, I have. At my firm, I handle all the bigger cases. Um, so my caseload, even though I have 100, um, some of the other departments in my firm could be handling anywhere between 300 and 500 cases.
0: Okay, um, wow.
1: so, so yeah, the the, uh, the amount of cases you're working at any given time is very much dictated by the size and complexity of the cases that you're managing.
0: Wow, that's that's incredible. I had no idea. but. I think it's super cool that like, you know, in the field of law, there's so many sort of specialties and that you can kind of get into the one that fits your interests and fits your personality. So it's very, you know, it can be like catered to your own taste almost what you decide to do.
1: Sure. And people take sure. their law degree and do all sorts of things. A lot of that. a good portion of your uh, politicians have law degrees. Um, all of the judges, um, beyond on a certain level, all have law degrees. Um, you see a lot of these people that become authors um, started out as lawyers and they realized that they had a, a talent for writing. Um, a lot of the uh, agents that represent uh, professional athletes are lawyers, so not just within law, but even outside of the law, a law degree can be very beneficial for somebody.
2: Even in a business environment, I think it's it's helpful to be able to look at things through a legal perspective. So, you know, in many instances, so it, it really, it is, it's, it, I think it's a pretty valuable degree.
0: Yeah.
1: One thing to keep in mind is it's definitely a, a, an economic and time commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you make the decision to go to law school, it, it really does need to be something that you're going to be very interested in, you're committed to, and that you're going to see through to the end, because as we all know, uh, schools are expensive and that, that, that applies to law school as well and you're gonna be committing three years of your life to law school, then another year with the bar exam. And just like any other profession, you're gonna spend those first however many years developing your skills, working your way up to the point where you can become a partner or have your own law firm. Um, so it is an economic and time-consuming uh, thing, but in the end, you know, I think it is it, it is valuable, and I'm certainly glad that I chose uh, to be a lawyer.
2: You know, and the other thing I would say, Raina, too, is. I wouldn't, don't, this is based on my personal experience. Don't, I don't, you know, because we had, this was one of the things you had mentioned to touch on was don't stress over not having, you know, an exact specific plan because I didn't. And I know a lot of people didn't. And, you know, your life experiences sometimes direct you into how everything is going to fall into place and where you're ultimately what specialty you ultimately end up in. And that's OK. You know, you just you keep plugging along. You, you know, you when I first moved back, I, I initially took the bar exam in Illinois, where I was. Um, going to law school. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't end up staying there. My family's in from Pennsylvania. So I moved back home. And for a while, I hadn't taken the PA and the New Jersey bars. So I I couldn't get a job as a lawyer. So I was working for any job. I was working in a nursery for a while. (laughs) And I eventually got got a job at Merrill Lynch doing um, retirement plan administration. And from there, um, while I was waiting for the bar exams to come up, you know, I sort of took on it, I got an interest in, in that and thought that might be a good fit for me. And then eventually took the bar exams in PA in New Jersey and got into my first law firm, then my second. You know, it, it was just a process, mm-hmm. but I didn't I didn't have like this, this perfect plan laid out when I was a teenager by any means. So I don't feel like anybody should ever be stressed about that or worried about that. If you just keep plugging along, you know, it, it, it'll fall into place.
1: And one other thing I think it's important for the, the listeners to hear is, you know, everybody has opinions about lawyers, you hear all the lawyer jokes, but the truth and the reality is that um, having a law degree and practicing law, um, certainly if you get into certain areas of the law, does give you the opportunity to help people. And the people that you end up helping are very often the ones that need the help the most, people that may not have access to to um, certain avenues that may be more accessible to others. Um, A lawyer can help them through that. Um, You know, it keeps the courts open to to people that, you know, are often forgotten or um, don't necessarily engage in these types of things um, without the help of a lawyer. So I do feel as though it does give, uh, you know, the attorneys do have the opportunity to to help people and very often the, the less fortunate. Um, So anybody who has a desire to kind of, you know, have a nice career, a nice profession um, that excites them, but also allows them the opportunity to help others, um, a law degree and ultimately become a lawyer definitely opens up those doors for people.
0: That's amazing. That's super valuable. Thank you. And I, you know, I can only imagine it must be a super gratifying experience. It is. And I guess that sort of leads me into my last question, but do you guys have any final thoughts or advice you'd like to share or add for teenagers, and particularly those considering pursuing a career in law?
2: Um, Just kind of like I was saying earlier, Raina, you know, I just don't stress too much over, you know, it's great if you have a specific plan and a specific area of law you're interested in, but if you don't, that's okay. You know, you can you, you don't have to major in pre-law in college. There's, you know, plenty of other areas you, that you can specialize in and still go to law school. Um, you know, and, and even once you start law school, you, you might think you have a particular area in mind and you find out through a couple courses or um maybe summer jobs you might find that that's that's not what you're interested in you might find that life circumstances lead you to a particular area of law and that's fine too um so i you know it's great if you have a a, you know an exact set plan but if you don't it's it's okay
1: and my advice would be kind of similar is that there's a lot of avenues you can pursue in the law um it's going to be hard work. Um, but if you, if you work hard and you're committed to it, it goes fast. Just as we know from grade school and high school, mm-hmm. that those years go very, very fast. Law school goes very fast. The whole process of studying for and, and, um, taking the, and passing the bar. exam goes very fast. But once you're through that process, there's a lot of doors that are opened up for you for the rest of your professional life. Yeah. Um, so my advice is just, you know, Work hard, be committed through that entire process, and then when it's all over, kind of look out at the landscape and determine what best suits your interests and your skill set, and understand that if you apply that the right way, that you can make a good living for yourself and your family. You'll be excited to go to work. Of course, there's always going to be those days where you think, oh, my God, what am I doing? Um, But that's any job. Um, but it, it is an exciting um, profession, and it does, again, like I just said, give you the opportunity to help people. So it really does open up a lot of things where, in the end, when you finally retire, you can look back and be very um, gratified by your profession and your career, uh, satisfied and, and proud of yourself for the work that you've done.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. That's extremely valuable, everything you've both said. Thank you. I'm That's sure. That's actually that's all i have but this was super amazing i learned a lot about law and the advice that you gave at the end in particular that was like i said really valuable it's actually my first time speaking with two people on the podcast so that was super exciting as well you did great yeah it
1: was it was really enjoyable it was our pleasure to do this
0: thank you thank you so much that's actually yeah that's i mean that's all but Again, thank you again. I would love to, you know, I'm gonna try to do some more research and gain some insight into the field of law because I think what you said was super inspirational about, you know, not only helping yourself but having the opportunity to help other people.
1: Yeah, great. And we're certainly around if you ever have any follow up questions for us or
0: just uh, informally, if you wanna ask us questions, we're always here for you. Thank you. Yeah,
2: no problem. Thank you,
1: Raina.
0: Of course, and thank you guys again. Have right, a great day. Bye. Bye bye. All right, well that's all. I had such a great experience talking and learning about the field of law. I also really appreciate the advice Miss Lisa gave at the end. I know that a lot of times life can get sort of stressful and it feels like we've got to have it all figured out. But I think just trusting that things will work out for the best and having faith in the universe so that we can take a break and live in the present is super important. That's all for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And thank you again to Miss Lisa and Mr. Scott for the indispensable insight. Tune in soon for a new episode of Untold and Unknown. And remember, everything happens for a reason.